You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Pupko. Hello, I'm Avram Kivalevich and Rabbi Pupko. The lights of Hanukkah are getting ready. People are getting their oil. They're searching where their Hanukkiot are, uh, deciding which spot to place the menorah in. Um, doesn't make sense. One room over the other. Are they not going to have their friends this year because of COVID? It's all obviously, you know, the life goes on. Hanukkah's here. And for us, of our vintage, Hanukkah comes, I guess, in somewhat of a bittersweet way. We've sort of seen, uh, I think you'll agree, we've seen sort of a diminution of Hanukkah in our lifetime. Um, when we were growing up, Hanukkah was, and we, you know, we've talked about uh, television that has shaped our lives, but I, I think it's a good barometer. I think years ago, when the thing that represented Judaism in the United States was Hanukkah. Um, it was the answer to Christmas. It was the, uh, we all remember the, um, uh, the great candid camera uh, shtick from the ni- early 1960s where the little girl gets on Santa's lap and she says, I don't want anything for Christmas. I'm Jewish. And, you know, and I think Santa comes back with, although I don't remember, okay, what about Hanukkah? So I, I think that like encapsulates where Hanukkah was, it sort of was, th- we're here, we're part of the United States, we're part of the Western culture, and you know what it is, it's all about this holiday. Um, what is the holiday about? Well, I guess it was sort of in vague ways, <laughs> people knew about the miracle, and they knew about liberty, but you know, Hanukkah has definitely, um, uh, from that period, sort of, I think, taken a back seat um, to what we know is halachically, of course, much more essential days like uh, Yom Kippur, Pesach. Um, and, but still, you know, I, I think just because uh, you used to be the Boston Celtics of the 1960s or the Lakers of the early 70s, and now you're sort of like the, uh, well, the Washington uh, Generals, <laughs> you're not, uh, of the first home Harlem Globetrotters, you're no longer the number one team that everybody cares about. But we should still, of course, I think, give Hanukkah its incredible due. Um, so what, what, what are some of your thoughts about this? You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I remember as a kid being, you know, f- feeling validated almost by the non-Jewish knowledge of or recognition of, uh, of Hanukkah, you know, where, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, where the, uh, the screen advertising the upcoming news would say, season's greetings and there'd be a Christmas tree and a menorah on your local uh, news broadcast and, you know, Jews felt, oh my God, we've arrived, you know, we're accepted, uh, you know, um, and, and the, uh, there'd be uh, the Rugrats Hanukkah special or whatever it was, you know, it became, you know, it, a symbol of the distinction and acceptance of Jews. In other words, uh, you ask Christians in America in the 1970s, what are Jews? Oh, those are the guys that don't have Christmas, but they have Hanukkah. It was very well known, and I think it probably still is well known. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's been diminished or, or, or other things have been elevated. I'm, it's hard to know, but the point is, it's not the only thing people think about, uh, far from the only thing people think about when they think about us, but it, certainly it was rather prominent in the things they would think about when they thought about us. 
you know, that we were the Hanukkah people and um, or the non-Christmas people. And then um, I, I think, by the way, before we just on that note, uh, we we can't overemphasize the incredible Kiddush Hashem of all Jews who work on Christmas and allow um, uh, our Christian brothers, our cousins, whatever you want to call them, to have their day. And we're manning the phones and we're in the hospitals. Um, right. I, I, I think that needs to be uh, – that's a, a wonderful thing. Whether we're doing Hanukkah or not, right. you know, we're there. Well, for doctors, I have to tell you, for religious doctors, for from doctors – to be able to say to their colleagues, you know, you know, uh, take care of me on on, on Simplest Tyra and I'll take care of you on uh, on December 25th is obviously, you know, that's what happens. There's a lot of swapping, but also you're right, just stepping up. And um, and, and that's certainly a, a positive thing. But, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think in, in many ways there are ironies to all of this in that in, in one of the traditional conceptions of, of Hanukkah, and maybe the central uh, traditional conception, it's the day when we assert our distinctiveness. It's the holiday of non-assimilation. And in, and in many ways, you know, the cynics could argue, well, now it's become an instrument of assimilation by, with, with you know, with, with Jews with a flimsy attachment uh, to Judaism who say, oh, this is, you know, we also... We have this gift giving to kids and lights in December, like everybody else, and and we've allowed Hanukkah to become assimilated into American culture. You know that I don't know if that's overly cynical or or, or, or negative, but there are you know you could make that argument that you know oh they have their uh, um, you know their tree in the town square and uh, and the local Chabad put up the menorah in the town square. Even though Shulchan Aruch says he can pursue Benitez with a bias, but you know, with uh, you know, to put up in the town square, um, and uh, you know, and, and it's so. Is that a a gesture or a, uh, a, a, a of of Jewish distinctiveness when we do that, or is it Me Tooism in the old sense of Me Too? Like, look look yeah, at Me Too, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about. You know, it, it queries a little bit of both, and I think that part of what uh, allowed Hanukkah its entrance, not only its proximity to Christmas, and and then we'll talk a little bit later about how gift-giving became an aspect of Hanukkah. Um, I, I think also it, it, it's an easy uh, day. It doesn't demand you to fast. It doesn't demand you to go to a person's house and right. sit there for hours and drink cups of wine and hear Hebrew that you didn't know. Um right. It, 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 the event um, uh, is easy to keep, and everybody likes lights. Now, right. whether, you, whether you're going to put the mensch on the bench out there and, and really put up a giant dreidel or whatever it is, or you're just going to have a small little menorah, it's very easy even for a, a quite uh, uh, assimilated person or to, to do that. And, to, and, and maybe, again, the story... Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the quaint, miraculous aspect uh, uh, is maybe downplayed, maybe not. You know, it, 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 it's strange. Again, I'm talking about why it was such an easy entrance. Not only did it give us, hey, uh, we're here, but it also gave us something that was easy to handle. Um, now, here's where I'm going a little bit speculative. You know, we live in a, in a period of anti um, uh, anti 
belief, I would say. I, I guess you would agree with me. I mean, the idea of believing in higher powers and, and things that we can't explain, uh, there's a lot of skepticism. But I think during Christmas, you know, like the Grinch's heart grows three sizes and Scrooge wakes up the next morning and becomes exotic. I think that we were also able, even skeptics, to sort of believe in that little miracle of the Pach Hashem as well, or at least to be able to say it with a straight face. I mean, the same way during Christmas, you have, you know, people that the rest of the year are, are taking out their steely knives and stabbing you and, and basically bashing your head. But on Christmas, there's this, you know, brotherhood and peace and goodwill towards all men. And the belief of some sort of higher power in a way, I think that even allowed uh, jaundiced, cynical Jews to sort of like even go through the lip service of saying, yeah, there was something which we couldn't really explain. There was light that lasted eight days. And it was almost packaged perfectly for a person to accept. And it didn't necessarily drag them into a life of commitment at all. Anyway, that's that's just a little bit out there. Yeah, um, no, but also it's a, it's a rather peaceful miracle. You know, I mean, you know, you focus on that. You don't focus on the guerrilla war waged by the by the uh, by the Hashemayim, by the Hasmoneans. You focus on the menorah. By the way, that I mean, you know, it's obvious, but uh, everyone talks about this. The the different ways Hanukkah is portrayed, even in the most traditional of of, of sources. You know, where you have uh, you know the Gemara and Hanukkah emphasizing uh, the sanctity and the miracle of the uh, of the oil. You have the Alanisim emphasizing the military conflict. So you're right. I mean, you can even the most traditional sources ex- open the door to multiple. I wouldn't say understandings, but certainly multiple multiple ways to emphasize the holiday. I mean, you can you you can use Hanukkah as an avenue to talk about religious freedom, you know, and uh, the recent Supreme Court case on you know on, on Cuomo's closing of of houses of worship. You know, it's a time of religious freedom. There's a dominant empire that insists on uniformity and, and tries to ban Jewish practice and Jews fight for religious freedom. You talk about the sanctity of, uh, of, the, of the base of Migdash. You can talk about uh, the need for Jewish self-reliance. Uh, and you can talk about uh, ultimately the deeply spiritual message of the, of, of the Nes, uh, of, of the Pach Shemin and what that emphasizes. I mean, there's, you know, the, there's enough in 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 Hanukkah already that uh, allows for multiple interpretations. And, and almost whatever interpretation you'd want. In other words, on Pesach, we're told, hey, if you don't say these three things, <laughs> you haven't been Yotze your Chiyah, right? That's what Gamliel tells us. But with Hanukkah, I think everybody chooses their ness and chooses their point of emphasis. I mean, we talked to, you know, me and you are American boys, so we like talking about the way the interface of, 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 of Judaism and American life or Canadian life, North American life, I'll say for your, for your sake, um, uh, French, uh, French life, whatever we could say <laughs> in terms for you. But we know in Israel, I, I think Hanukkah, you know, uh, was maybe one of the main holidays that was emphasized in, after the, uh, the establishment of the state primarily because of the second element, because of the guerrilla warfare, because of the idea of a small band uh, being able to win a war against the neighbors again that were oppressing them. Uh, it was such, it was tailor-made for even, you know, for the Sabra mentality. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the reason why there was probably a lot of excitement. Look, you have a, a new state 
uh, in the 50s, looking for national days right. that could form their character. Now, we know that Yom Atzma'ut, as Rav Herzog writes very clearly in one of his introductions to the, uh, the Machser of Yom Atzma'ut, that it started almost on its own. It was almost like the people on their own decided to turn it into a holiday. Right. And Herzog said, Rav Herzog Zatzal said, let's get on board with what's already developed and shape it in a, in a, in a, in a spiritual way that can embrace even right. people that aren't religious. I think with Hanukkah, what we had was, um, uh, whether it was, I don't know if the Rabbanut was involved in it, but I think there was also a natural movement towards, hey, this is an event that really speaks to our the zeitgeist of where we're at. I think because right. I, 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 listen, I, I think you're 100 percent right, but I think there are additional elements to that. Number one, the fact that it's kid centered helps everybody. You know, uh, there's a there's a general inclination to infantilize all of Judaism, and this is actually easily infantilized. In other words, it's about the kids, about giving gifts to kids. So what could be bad? I would say another element, and I'm sure you may disagree with this, is that being in Israel, in the address of where the event took place, <laughs> unlike all the other holidays, right? right? It, this, it actually happened in Israel, right? It didn't happen in Persia. It didn't happen in Egypt. It happened in Israel. And the fact that there were these continue to this day to be archaeological finds, you know, uh, confirming the narrative, confirming the story, where you have the coins, where you have uh, you know the artifacts of, of of the revolt, and it was a uh, it becomes very relevant and tangible the holiday in Israel. But you're right. I mean, uh, there's no question that in the early years of Israel, in the early years, and, and it persisted. There was a desire to look back on the moments in Jewish history, which could serve as a an inspiring model for the modern ethic of of, of, of self self reliance and. Uh, 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 in the Jewish fighting spirit. I mean, look, look at Yom HaShoah. I mean, why is Yom HaShoah in the month of Nisan? I mean, you know, if you ask 100 Jews in 1950 when we should have Yom HaShoah, uh, some of them would have said, I don't know, Jan- the end of January when Auschwitz is liberated. Or some might have said September 1 when the war started. You know, wh- why is it in Nisan? It's only there because of the war said ghetto uprising. And why? Because Israelis, and again, <laughs> not far from uniquely, Israelis misunderstood the Holocaust. They, they thought it was a story of Katzon Latevach, uh, like sheep to slaughter, and, which wasn't the case. An expression used by Alva Kovner in the Vilna Ghetto meant not to castigate Jews, but to inspire Jews. Let us not be Katzon Latevach, like, like sheep to slaughter. And in fact, so when the, when the Israelis had to figure out Yom HaShoah, they put it on, you know, worse like an uprising, because those are the few Jews Right. Of whom Yom, we don't need to be embarrassed. Right. It was actually called Yom HaShoah Hagvura. Exactly. So now, all that changes. Israel no longer thinks of the Holocaust that way. Uh, the Eichmann trial was the Eichmann very... Trial the Eichmann trial changed that because then... Everything. The Eichmann because, trial changes everything. But it's really more than that. And I know you're going to say that, but, you know, I like interrupting you, which is the right. fact that the Holocaust survivors who came to Israel were sort of embarrassed about, right. like you say. No, by the way, but that's far from unique. And when they came to Montreal, they had the same experience. You can't blame that on is- in Israel. The Holoc- I mean, I've heard Holocaust survivors tell me, you know, Rabbi, when I came to, to Montreal and I started telling people what happened to me, they, the response from other Jews would be, oh, we didn't have it that easy in Canada either. <laughs> right? Nylon was rationed or whatever it was, you know? So, you know, <laughs> survivors 
were given a very clear message by other Jews. We don't want to hear your story. Right. Maybe, maybe it was, you know, maybe they took, you know, it, maybe it wasn't as uniform, uniform as that. But if you look at Holocaust literature, I mean, we have brilliant books written by survivors in the 40s, right after the war, that were completely ignored, that some of which, thank God, have been resurrected. But Mary Berg's diary, I mean, it, it, was, it was completely, I mean, who read it? You know, and, but finally, you know, you know, whatever, we can talk about that another time, but right. the Holocaust series on NBC and everything else, and the Eichmann trial was crucial, absolutely decisively crucial in, allow, in, in allowing survivors' voices uh, to be heard. And then people understood the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising was not an exception, but in fact the rule. Right. There was rebellions in Vilna and Krakow and Sobibor and Treblinka and the crematory. We, we all know and, the stories and, of heroism. And, and also maybe, the definition of resistance expanded to spiritual resistance. Oh, well, that's what I was going to say. We didn't really need the – as great as the story is of, uh, of the uprising and, and fighting – uh, we didn't need that anymore as our ultimate linchpin about this is what we take out right. from that period. 100%. We didn't necessarily need the 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 the, the, the stand of uh, of the fist uh, right. uprising, right. and and which which I think if we if we're right about this that it's it maybe caused Hanukkah to be viewed differently. Now, once we didn't need it to sort of like uh, v- v- validate the fact that we the Israelis were fighters and the Jews could fight against oppression, then maybe other aspects of what the day meant opened up. Now, now you mentioned before, of course, the Gemara, that, that, ref, that based on really the Bryce of Megillus Tainus, actually, that's quoted in the Gemara, uh, that zeroes in on the Pach Hashem. And, um, and I guess what you were getting at, uh, and I'm going to steal your thunder here again, is is that people who are emphasizing the lack, the 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 anti-assimilationist message of Hanukkah or strengthening Torah values of Hanukkah will zero in on the symbolism of the nest of the Pach Hashemen and what the light of the menorah means, the light of Torah, the light of authentic Judaism, despite everything else that's going on. And therefore, you sort of have, even in Israel, at the same time, you know, you have a message of, which has very little religious value in terms of Shmiras HaMitzvos, right? You have, at the very same time, you have people arguing the exact opposite. That Hanukkah is the period of, of, of strengthening Shmiras HaMitzvos. It's a time of, of, of resisting all that. And they're both talking about the same period, and they're both have passionate feelings towards Hanukkah, and each one is really zeroing in on a, on a different message, which I guess get, goes to show you how elastic and pliable Hanukkah is like I said before. It's like I can do with Hanukkah whatever I want. I'm a, I'm going to assume, Rabbi, that Hanukkahs are, are your easiest drushes. I would assume Hanukkah is probably it, it ain't hard for you to come up with a message for uh, when you deal with Hanukkah. No, you could uh, you could uh, probably adapt anything you want to say and then insert it into the Hanukkah <laughs> spiel, right? Listen, uh, there's no question that's accurate. But the uh, uh, the Hanukkah, you know, there, you know, I'll tell you a good part about a good part, and this is, I think, important uh, for, for the broader discussion here about the assimilation aspect. You know, you have to ask yourself, you know, of all the miracles that were done for the Jewish people, the least consequential was the Pach Hashem. I mean, you know, had the oil miracle not happened, what would have changed in Jewish history? 
So the menorah would have been dark a week. I mean, why is it such a big deal? You know, they would have waited a week. What, what, or, or, or they would have lit, as we know, the place she was questioned. Right. The trip at Seabor, right. Seabor, right. So well, it didn't save anybody's life. The war had been, had been fought and won. What did it matter? I mean, what did it matter? And that becomes the emblem of the holiday. It is the single most inconsequential miracle. The single most inconsequential miracle. Again, so why is it so... Again, more than that, why is it the only miracle celebrated in a fanatical manner? You know, maybe it's the wrong word, but it's mahadrim and a mahadrim, right? You don't have to do it the way we all do, right? People don't even know there are other options, right? We all do it. It's taken for granted. That's how we do it. And... Um, and, and the idea is, and, it's, and this is why it's an important message for assimilation and about cultural distinctness and asserting the distinctness of Judaism, is that what is really unique about the Hanukkah story is that um, there was no Nevoa. Uh, no one told them to fight. No, no one told them how to conduct themselves. And they did it on their own. There was no open miracle in the battle and the conflict. Nothing. They just did it. And they won. And the Menes Hanukkah, I think, is so, the Pachashem is so crucial because I think it was the, the it was a Kaddish Baruch's way of signaling to the Jewish people that they were willing to fight and die for the right to do mitzvahs. And now God says, you know, I'm going to do a miracle, God says, whose only consequence is the performance of a mitzvah, having a little menorah in the, in the base of the day. In other words, it was God's way of saying it's Torah and mitzvahs are worth fighting for. They're worth fighting and even dying for. That's the whole essence of the, of the Pach Hashem. The Pach Hashem is the idea that the mitzvahs of the Jew are so beloved by God, he will alter the natural order in order to see those mitzvahs continue. And, and, and it was a way to, to signal the Jews, to show the Jews how beloved the mitzvahs. And because it is the only thing we have, that is a tangible symbol of how God wants our mitzvahs. So, of course, we do it in the Hadron and the Mahadron. Ah, beautiful. Do it that way. Beautiful. Very nice. In fact, I, w- I would just add one little graphic, and that's, I think, where you're going. It's almost like God himself is doing the mitzvah with us together. Yes. It's almost like God in his in a celestial throne is saying, hey, I want part of that, too. I know yes. you're trying You're trying to do what you can to, to have it light at least one night. I'll tell you right. what. Let's join together in, in, in this in this team of mitzvahs. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we touched on before the, the uh, commercialization of Hanukkah and the, yeah. gift, and the gift giving. Clearly, it, it helped a lot of Jewish kids like that little girl in the candid camera clip uh, like feel that she was not uh, some sort of alien. The fact that she could also go to Macy's, right. she could also uh, get gifts. Uh, and, and that way, it, it probably helped a lot of Jewish kids stay within the fold because they knew they were getting presents. Um, and, and we talked before we started recording. I mentioned that we were we were talking about our mutual uh, grandchildren situation of giving to grandchildren and what's the best way to get that done and how hard that is, especially during COVID and other times about happening. What's your feeling uh, about uh, Hanukkah as, as gift giving? Is it something we should just keep on doing? I'll tell you what I think about it, but what, what do you say about that? Listen, it's, uh, listen, the Rambam says in every yontif, you're supposed to give the kids gifts in order that they be happier in yontif. You know, it's not a, you know, it makes kids happy and it makes them associate uh, Hanukkah in a positive way. 
So why not? You know, it's, it, it, I don't think it does any damage. I don't, Hanukkah gelt goes back a long time. Its exact origins may be murky, but it goes back a long time. Uh, and if it goes from Hanukkah gelt to, uh, uh, you know, to, to gifts, uh, to uh, whatever you're living in, uh, whatever time, whatever decade you're in, it goes from Cabbage Patch dolls to, uh, to uh, you know, to an iPhone, whatever it is. Uh, the kids like the gifts and it, it gives them positive associations with the holiday. I don't see any great damage in but again, what is interesting is you're right. For some Jewish kids, it was a way to say, yeah, I got stuff also. You know, I have also, you have, you have your holiday, I got mine, so I'm okay. To other Jewish kids who were so overwhelmed by the pervasiveness of Christmas, it, it created conflicts at home where people said, well, why don't we have a tree? Why don't we do this? And people calling the rabbis in 1964 and, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, asking, my kid wants to, can I call it a Hanukkah bush? I mean, the old silly stories, you know, where where the pervasiveness of Christmas is still a problem for some Jewish parents to understand, you know, to, to explain to kids why they're not accepting it. And then you have the later versions of Christmas and whatever else, you know, whatever else was going on in the culture that tried to fuse the two for <clears throat> so many families who, who have, um, right. Yeah. Who are both because of intermarriage. And, um, Sure. And so it's, it, 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 there are different responses here, I'm saying, is that some kids see that Hanukkah is a way to assert their distinctness, but some Jewish kids still apparently felt pain by the absence of Santa Claus in their lives, yes. Yeah, well, I, right, and, and, and I, I guess we've reached a, you know, sort of a beyond racial um, identity type of you know, period, even among ourselves, where maybe we could say, hey, you know, Hanukkah gifts, how essential are they? Obviously, um, it's a beautiful thing to, to create a Kesher. I could hear the argument. I know my daughter-in-law who, who came from Israel and is living in, has been living in the United States. She was unfamiliar with the idea of giving gifts on Hanukkah. And uh, she sort of allowed us to give the gifts because that's what we were into. But, you know, the Israeli mentality was... Um, it's about Hanukkah guilt, at least the Haredi Israeli mentality about Hanukkah guilt, and resisting this idea of giving gifts. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you as far as that goes. I don't, give, I don't care that it came from Christmas, but you know what? This isn't one of the things that Bukhosei and Mosei Lechu. This isn't, it, it might have been 100% borrowed and taken from Christmas and ripped off, but it does positive things in terms of creating a bond. Uh, I think that's great. Let's talk a little bit about a Hanukkah gelt. I know that uh, you mentioned before. Well, uh, I, I would have just one thing. I think, go ahead. I think there's one e- effort we should all undertake when it comes to Hanukkah, which is telling people that before you give any gifts to your kids, your grandkids, your wife, your husband, that first and foremost, the rabbis should get gifts. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the most important thing, and I think that's been ignored. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I we'll try to make sure that as many people as possible get that message, even if he's not your rabbi. Right. right. Oh, rabbi. Just, you know, wildly, just, you know. That's right. And uh, search for rabbis and especially, especially um, uh, North American ones. Um, right. Especially uh, Montreal. I would focus yes. on Montreal first as a pilot, as a pilot project. Yes, but, but 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 you know we we talked a little bit before we started recording about the history of of Hanukkah gelt and uh, again there is theories that Leo Kitov and others have floated the idea which probably comes from earlier sources as you said it's murky but it was in a way sort of to strengthen um, uh, learning uh, whether it was the kids who were trying to be strengthened or the teachers uh, there was this idea of you know money talks and that's 
that that that's an important uh, that's an important thing that that it should be appreciated. Um, I'll, I'll, I, I shared with this you before, but I think it's worth putting up here on our recording. Um, I think a real beautiful idea from Chaim Kanievsky um, that this was really a means to to give tzedakah. That um, there was an uh, there was an understanding that uh, especially people didn't have they didn't even have enough money as we see in the Gemara. They didn't have money for oil for lights. It wasn't it was a reality. Today we take it anybody can go into the uh, the dime store and get the 44 candles for whatever it is, 59 cents. I don't know how much it is in Canada, but you could probably still get it for under a dollar. Um, uh, but it wasn't so easy. And there was this sense uh, to try to give tzedakah to people. But people had their dignity. And although originally the Aniyam would come around to the people's homes and they would get money during Hanukkah, when people were home, because they were lighting the menorah, because people were home, they were home a little bit earlier, so it became a tzedakah uh, campaign which they bristled at because they felt they were being uh, seen as schnorrs. And therefore, these um, uh, poor, impoverished people would send their children. And that lessened the sting of the insult of being poor. But then the children also figured out what's going on here. You know, I know this little boy at Cheder. I've seen this guy. I don't see him getting money. Why are they only giving money to me? And therefore, sort of like the Gemara talks about the takanos of, of, of what we, how we shroud everybody, right? That everyone gets the same uh, simple shrouds. Here it sort of went the other way. Every child will get money. But the purpose of it was to try to, to, try to give to the most needy. And this way, no one feels like they are sticking their hand out and begging. Everybody gets it. But it's a way really to share the wealth and to get it to the people who need it the most. And I think that's, you know, people who, who I'm just going to go on here because many people see Rechaim Kanievsky as this, as this, as this you know, um, he's over the hill icon and he's sort of like nobody, he's, the, he's this Buddha figure who uh, everyone impresses, but no one really, uh, uh, he's sort of not relevant. This is the type of ideas that he says, which I think are, 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 are great are really great and brilliant and, and, and really come from from his knowledge. And it really, as my father used to say, Nikar and Divrei Emes. You know, it, it's it's a very... It, well, it's, it's like the story with Kamala Cotton or Rebchia and the Gemara Sanhedrin about, you know, shielding embarrassment where, you know, the Rebuda Nasi, yes, it was Rebuda Nasi who was giving a shear and he asked who had bad breath and you know, he gets up and he says it's me, and when it wasn't, then everybody got up and went to the field. The halitosis offender from being singled out, and you know, you know so it's uh, you know, to spare uh, the idea of giving stuck in a way which shields, uh, which shields any, any possible, uh, you know, uh, uh, embarrassment is obviously the biggest kind of mystery. Right. Yeah. And, and that way, it's almost like Hanukkah outdoes Purim, right? Because on Purim, you sort of like you know, again, it's called Pesach Yad Neistenlo. But still, you know, uh, the Aniyim are always looking forward for Purim. Hanukkah, it's almost like, yeah, it's about the Aniyim, but we turned it into something else to sort of allow the Aniyim their dignity, which I think is a, it's, I think it's a great message uh, as well. When we when we think about even in this uh, financially strapped time about what we can do during Hanukkah, that's within really the spirit of of, of the day and our traditions. So. I think that's about it for us today. We we. <laughs>
or as the Chassidim say, I'll lift the Gimel. Because the question is, is of course, uh, can you be Freilach? But I'm going to wish you a Freilach and a lift and Hanukkah. And uh, yes, <laughs> definitely, ho ho ho. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.